0: Brethren, we are living in amazing times. I invite you to look in your scripture, in your Bibles, the chapter 8 of the book of Daniel, chapter 8, and we see the time we are approaching very quickly, and we are going to see why. In Daniel chapter 8, and verse 23, we read, and, and in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their fullness, a king shall arise, having fierce features, who understand sinister schemes. We will know for sure when this This man comes, this king, to whom is not given the honor of the kingdom. We know that ahead of time. There is someone in the world of sin that might be the one that will take the kingdom by intrigue, which we know by the book of Daniel. But that's not the subject. The subject is there is a time when this king will come on the scene. We are talking about the beast, the person of the beast, and we will know is because the transgressors have reached their fullness. And we know that God had put, has put an end to every civilization when they reach the fullness of iniquity. The mixture of good and evil can sustain itself as long as evil does not prevail over the little good that is there. But there is a time when society reaches such deprivation and that the evil prevails to that point where it cannot stand, and it falls. Brethren, we're reaching that point. We're about to reach that point. How can we know? I'm going to tell you one indication that teaches us that we're reaching the fullness of iniquity in human society all over the place. What is it that gives us a key? I don't say that's the only key, but I would like to quote now, Jesus Christ said that uh, in the time, the time he will return, it will be like the days of Noah. What happens in the days of Noah? Let's look at chapter six of the book of Genesis, and we see that when fullness, when, when wickedness reaches its fullness, God God puts an end to a civilization. There is a famous poet in France called Paul Valéry. I'm not talking to Valéry here, but... Paul Valéry said, We civilizations, we know that we are mortal. You look throughout history, how many civilizations are buried in the dust, my dear brethren. And ours is going to be buried soon and forever, with no return. And only one civilization that will not be given to another people, like Daniel chapter 2 says when he interpreted the, the dream of Nebuchadnezzar, the fifth empire will not be given to another people. Why? Because there will not be a mixture of good and evil. The foundation of that civilization will be the Ten Commandments and all the ramifications that make the statutes and the judgments of God. It cannot fail, because there is no mixture of good and evil. It will stand forever, and we are preparing ourselves for that time, my dear brethren. Let's look at chapter 6 of the book of Genesis, and we will see an indication, a clear indication, that our civilization is reaching the fullness of iniquity, and the days are numbered. And frankly, when the beast's power comes up, we know it will be a matter of days we can count, 1,335 days, probably from the time the, the beast comes to power, and then, of course, what, when the sacrifice in Jerusalem will be stopped, we will know there is 1,290 days for the return of Jesus Christ, and we know that when the beast enters Jerusalem, will be 1,000. 260 days, or 42 months, which is the stay of those that will be protected in the place of safety. So we we know, literally, that the days are numbered. We are approaching that time, brethren. We better be ready. Now, how can we know that the civilization is reaching the fullness of iniquity? Let's look at chapter 6 of the book of Genesis, verse 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great, In the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. You see, there were no room for the little good that was a mixture when Adam and Eve took from that tree. It came at the moment where evil prevailed to the point that it could not stand and God could not stand it either. So he says, Every intent, it was just a very amazing description of the thoughts of his heart, was only evil continually. No mixture here. Evil by itself cannot stand. It stands by the little good that has been able to sustain certain civilizations until the evil prevails and they crumble. Here, let's continue in verse 12. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh, all flesh has come before, excuse me, uh, upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Now I want to address here the beginning of the subject we're talking about. This includes the youth and the childhood. It says all flesh have corrupted. And that's what we're going to see. A clear indication that a civilization is reaching the fullness of iniquity and is approaching the end is when the evil penetrates all the way to the youth and the childhood. When their conscience are seared... By evil. And we are seeing now, I will quote you a few examples of things that are happening with teenagers and even children in these days. So, let's look at another example here in chapter 15 of the book of Genesis. What God says to Abraham. God says to Abraham here, after he promised that the land of Canaan will be the possession of his descendants... He gives a certain explanation, very interesting, that will confirm what we are studying now, what is the sign that the civilization is reaching its end because the iniquity is reaching the fullness. Chapter 15, verse 15, God speaks to Abraham and says, No, as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, you shall be buried, at a good old age, but in the fourth generation, now whom is he talking about? His descendants. They shall return here, the twelve tribes. For the, listen to this, the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Evil had not prevailed to the point that that civilization where Abraham was when he was still alive, would crumble. It would be destroyed by God, and I think by the loss, even of nature, when there's so much wickedness, the society cannot stand. If we're part of it, brethren, we will perish with it. That's a big warning for us. And today, it's amazing how we are stalked by evil. Now, listen to the instructions that God gave to the children of Israel when they came back on the fourth generation in chapter 20 of the book of Deuteronomy. In chapter 20 of the book of Deuteronomy, let me just verify this scripture here. In my assistant Bible here, uh, Deuteronomy, I will tell you exactly what that is. Chapter 20. Okay, verse 16. Verse 16, it says, But of the cities of these peoples, God is giving instructions about war when they go to war with people that were beyond the river, probably, beyond the Euphrates, and conquer cities or civilizations that was not an order to exterminate everybody because those civilizations had not yet reached their fullness. But Canaan, here is the fourth generation, and God who can announce the end from the beginning, He knew, 400 years before, that after 400 years, these people will have reached a point where he couldn't, they could not stand as a civilization, and God couldn't stand them either. So He says here, like I mentioned to you in chapter 20 and verse 16, these are the instructions for the people of Israel when they cross the Jordan. And before they crossed the Jordan, they took the lands of the West Bank, and we know they eliminated everybody. It was a command by God. And I will mention something concerning that, because that, that, may, that might be a, a very strong statement for many people, that God approves genocide. It's a strong word, my dear brethren. But God knows what he's doing, and I will mention just a quote to see, but Of the cities of these peoples, that means the Canaan, which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance, you shall let nothing that breaths remain alive. Nothing. Because deprivation have reached even the youth and the childhood. And when those consciences are seared at that age, there is no hope for a new generation that will go back on track. It's the end of it, and we are watching that right now in our civilization through the smart phones. It's multiplying at the speed of light, brethren, and we better be aware of it. And it says here, But you shall utterly destroy them, the Hittite and the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite, just as the Lord your God has commanded you, and let's read how Moses obeyed that. And this like like this is strong language, brethren. But God knows what He's doing, and He says like He did it in in the in the flood. So let's read here in uh, in Deuteronomy chapter three, what Moses says. Uh, chapter two, verse thirty-four. Two thirty-four. We see how Moses followed those instructions from God. 2.34. Uh, excuse me. 2. Yeah, 2.34. Yes. Here it is. It says, We took all his cities. Speaking of the king uh, Sehon, who was on the east bank of the Jordan. We took all his cities at that time. And we utterly destroyed the men... Women and little ones of every city we left, non-remaining. And then, in verse 6, speaking of uh, Bashan and Og, king of Bashan, what does Moses say? Because he directed these campaigns in chapter 3 and verse 6, he repeats. And we utterly destroyed them, as we did to Sihon, king of Hezbollah, utterly destroying the men, women, and children of every city. That meant the evil had penetrated all the way to the youth and the childhood. Their consciences were seared by evil. There was no return except by the power of God. Let's look what he says here. And God is the only one who can ordain such a thing, And he is the only one that can restore everyone that has died to life and give him a real opportunity to create them again, give them a new mind, and give them a wonderful opportunity for salvation and eternal life. Let's read in chapter 32 what God says, 32 of Deuteronomy, in verse 39, 32-39. Now we see, now we see that I, excuse me, 32, 39 of Deuteronomy. Now see that I, even I, I am he, and there is no God besides me. I kill and I make alive. Who else can say that? That's why he ordered all those people to be killed, because he will make them alive he has the power to do so and we understand exactly when after 1000 years in the white throne judgment all these people will come back to life and will be judged and be educated by jesus christ himself and his wife that's us my dear brethren a hell meet to jesus christ to rule and to teach i kill and i make alive i wound And I heal. There is the power of God. He is the only one that can ordain this type of operation. Like he did with Amalek too, when he ordered Saul to do it, and he disobeyed. Let's look at third example, my dear brethren. Let's look again to the book of Genesis, chapter 18, if you please. Chapter 18 of the book of Genesis, we confirm that... God destroys a civilization when they are utterly depraved or have fallen in total iniquity. In chapter 18, it's interesting that also I would like you to notice this. In chapter 18, God says something of Abraham and is saying it to us, which will apply to us in this civilization because this civilization is reaching the end like Sodom and Gomorrah. And God calls the civilization in Isaiah chapter 1 and chapter 2, Sodom and Gomorrah. That means it's going to be utterly destroyed. So it says here, why God preserved Abraham and even hurt him to preserve Lot, his nephew. In verse 19 of chapter 18 of the book of Genesis Look what he says here. He says For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord, to do righteousness and justice that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. Isn't he talking to us that we should teach? Our children and our grandchildren as we're going to see, for those that are grandparents, the way of the Lord, starting with our own example, which is the most powerful tool to teach. And here, let's look what happened with this series. Let's look at, let me just look here, chapter 19. I think it's chapter 18. Excuse me, brethren. How do we get there? Chapter 18. I'm sure it's chapter 18. What God says? Yes, verse 20. Chapter 18, verse 20. Right after he spoke to Abraham about Abraham, that he would teach his children and his children's children the way of God, and that's one of the reasons God preserved him. Verse 20, 18, verse 20. And the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me. And if not, I will know. How do we know it reached the fullness? Let's read chapter 19. Chapter 19 of this, this, the same chapter 19 and verse four. You know that the angels that had been with the Lord and Abraham, they just went down to Sodom and Lot, who was sitting at the gate, invited them to his house and offered them hospitality and gave them on leavened bread. Very interesting. In the midst of Sodom. Get them unleavened leavened bread. And then, let's read what happened in verse 4. These angels came as men, very good-looking men. And uh, in verse 4, let's read. And now, before they lay down, because he was keeping these two angels in his house, not knowing that they were angels like Paul teaches us in the book of Hebrews, now, before they, before they lay down, that's chapter 19, verse 4. The men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young. You see how evil was penetrated? What do you think happens to gay couples that adopt children, my friends? What do you think happens to them, to those children? Their conscience will be seared. That's how bad we are going. We are reaching the end of the civilization. And he says, 19 verse 4, Now before they lay down the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house. What does that mean? The wickedness, have reached its fullness, and it reached the youth. And I'm sure the children, too, because God erased them completely, turned them to dust, to, to ashes. There we have three powerful examples that indicate to us that the end of civilization, we can perceive the end of the civilization when wickedness penetrates all the way to childhood. And God knows there is no hope to restore that generation, humanly speaking, but he will do it. He will restore them to life in the end in the white throne judgment. So here we have these amazing examples. Now, the question that comes, brethren, and how it is happening in this generation that evil is being spread so quickly. I mentioned it, it is one of the main tools that Satan is using is the smartphone. And children have those devices and in many homes there is no supervision and they get addicted to them. It has, the, the youth has come to the point, brethren, I just heard Mr. Christian Orego, the uh, exe- executive assistant, of the Spanish Department, which I'm very thankful for this man, for his abilities and his tremendous help and loyalty. But he just told me that in Venezuela, just this week, two teenagers killed another teenager, 16-year-old. They cut him in pieces and then cut some of the the flesh of the dead one and roasted and ate it those are teenagers another one following the challenges that these games that are available to our young people to do th- things that are extreme and one of the challenges that he received was to to point a gun a handgun, to the forehead of his best friend and load it and just hold it there, in front of his forehead. Something happened in the arm. He was shot in the front of his best friend. He was killed instantly. He has repented and confessed that he never intended to kill his friends. But they are following challenges that are offered on the Internet. We have cases... In some areas, I don't want to mention specifically of a young girl who had more suffering depression. And Mr. Orego did a great job in talking to this girl in a special way. He was able to start real good communication that even her parents had not been able to reach. She was consulting suicidal groups and seeing people that, you know, they cut themselves and they show their wounds on the internet, in their smartphone. And they teach them how to commit suicide and encourage them to do so. This is how bad is getting, my dear brethren. Even worse, I don't know other things that are happening there. I have here the January 26th edition of a magazine called The Week. They present interesting perspectives because they quote from both sides, liberal and more conservative, and they quote from them. And I would like to read to you what says here concerning, and I'm sure you are all aware of this, but I think we have to take conscience and be fully aware of how evil is penetrating even our youth. They have access to those things on a click. They have access. Children are exposed to pornography at nine years old, ten years old. They know how to do it. They have a special gift, to which I don't have, to operate those devices. It says here, technology, and there is a, some comments I'm going to read to you, my brethren, from this magazine, which is just from last week, or two, weeks, two weeks ago. Smartphones. Are our kids addicted to devices? And he says here, Parents have long wondered if the six hours a day the average teenager spends in front of a screen is safe. Six hours, said Jean Twingy in the Conversation dot com. Recent research research suggests it is not healthy, with sleep deprivation, depression, and even suicidal thoughts becoming alarmingly prevalent among young smartphone users. If no less an expert than Steve Jobs, once said that he didn't let his kids use iPads. Steve Jobs, they know what they are doing. And then, here he continues, he said, but it's a lopsided battle pitting parents and teachers against some of the largest and most advanced companies in the world whose business models depend on hooking young users and keeping them glued to their screens. Roughly 75% of high schoolers have a phone and unlock it about 95 times a day on average. Our kids clearly have a digital addiction problem, said Gracie Olmsted in TheWeek.com. But we can't expect Apple to save us from ourselves. Only the hands-on influence and mentorship of family, friends, and teachers can overcome entrenched habits and foster new daily rhythms. It's in our hands, brethren. Why does Jesus Christ said the wickedness will abound to the point that the love of many will wax cold? And what does he say? The tribulation will be such that if those days were not shortened, nobody will stay alive. Because our civilization is reaching the fullness of iniquity, and our children and our youth are being infected and perverted through these devices in an amazing speed. Very quickly, at the speed of light, Multiplied by billions who have access to these things. I think that if we, brethren, are conscious of our duty to our families, we better take this seriously. Because God is not a respecter of persons. If we don't do our part, our children might perish. And if we not obey God, we might perish with them. And this civilization is about to Perish. I would like to quote my brethren from the book of Exodus and the book of Deuteronomy, how many times God commands parents to teach their children. You see, I had a friend, a dear friend. He told me, we were friends since the days of worldwide. I delegated my kids to the church because they were imperial schools. There were uh, Bible lessons every Sabbath for the children, and I didn't do what God commands me to do personally with my own children, and I lost them. Brethren, that has happened to many. Sad to say, many have suffered that loss because we're going to see that of course the church is in charge of feeding the flock. Everybody, all of us receive this wonderful food from God's ministers and from the church. And even our children, if they take part in the Sabbath classes here, I I think that's wonderful. That does not replace the personalized influence and teaching that we parents are commanded to do every day with our children at home. Nothing will replace that. If we, have, if we want to develop a spiritual bond with our own children, it requires that we teach them the word of God, first as an example of our teaching, and then communicating to them this wonderful truth. I know some parents would say, well, let's read first to make it absolutely clear what God commands. In chapter 12 of the book of Exodus, we're going to see over and over how that order is directed to parents and grandparents, not to the Levitical. They will do the job teaching and judging. But at home, I remember four mandates that came from Mr. Armstrong. It says... Number one, I think it was, come out of the world. He did this months before he died. He gave us in a sermon. Come out of the world. Number two, simplify your lives, which are very appropriate for us today, even more than then. Number three, prepare to be teachers. What a better place to prepare to be teachers than In our own little little kingdom, with our our own beautiful subjects that God gave to us, our children. Someone might say, I don't have the ability. If God commands us to do so, he will give us the ability, and we can ask for him wisdom. Give me wisdom, so I can teach them effectively. There's a definition of faith that I will give to you based on other translations. I think the definition of faith here in Hebrews, you forgive me, brethren, is a little bit vague. It doesn't speak very much directly. It gives you with a vague feeling. That's my experience with it. And I will give you a simpler definition because that's what helped Joseph and that will help us to endure until the end. He says how here in Hebrews... Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. You know, the substance. We don't use that word very often. We're not very familiar with that. It doesn't It doesn't hit the nail on the head. It gives me the impression. And it says, the evidence of things not seen. Evidence and substance, you know. I tell you another translation I found, which is very clear and eloquent. Now, faith is the certainty of things hoped for. The certainty. And then he continues, he says, the conviction of things not seen. If you want to say no, that's an easier way to understand faith. The certainty of things hoped for. That's what Joseph had. The conviction. He was conv- convinced of it that's what we need that's what faith is of things not seen and james says if you lack wisdom ask for it with faith knowing that god will answer you and he will give you the wisdom to teach your own children and we have to make it palatable children have a fascination with stories that has been stolen in my generation by mickey mouse Walt Disney, they stole the fascination of kids with stories. We used to go to my grandma. Grandma, tell us the story of these men that walk on the trails of the Andes behind the mules and, and the things that they went through. And we sat at her feet, and there was not much TV in those days. And we were fascinated by the tale that grandma was telling us, and that builds a bond. We, do, we can do exactly the same, choosing directly from the Word of God the stories that would fascinate our children. I remember teaching to my son, Ariel. Uh, We started, we're going through the book of Genesis, and I started to tell the story of creation, and then Adam and Eve, and then, and I was the first one telling him those things. You know, that's a fascinating thing, to be the first one to communicate these amazing truths. I tell you, they'd stay in their heads forever if we establish that, bond and that communication and God says also in book of uh, Colossians let your speech be seasoned with salt tasty we should ask God father give me the ability to convey your word to my children and that's what's going to keep them from perishing with this given the discernment and it has to be face to face heart to heart and he says here, oh, I was telling you the story of what happened there in, in Genesis. <laughs> I was telling you that. And then I told him the story of Cain and Abel. He had never heard that story. And when Cain became jealous of his brother and was his face just full of bitterness, and God warned him, God knew what he was planning to do. And then I read the rest of the story, and he was probably six years old or less. And Cain went ahead and killed his brother, and he started crying. Papa, don't tell me those sad movies. Why? It was like a movie in his head, and it would stay there forever. That's what God commands us to do, and I'm going to read to you over and over so we can save our children. For perishing with this civilization. So they, we are ahead of the devil. If we don't do it, he will do it. He will destroy them until their consciences are seared. I remember in, in the school was taught, any orientation sexual orientation is just normal. Everybody was teaching that. And I remember I talked to the principal, and I was concerned for certain things. It was a fine lady with conscience of values. And she said, Mr. Hernandez, the home is the antidote to everything. That was the principal of the middle school in Ramona, California. So if we don't do it at home, the antidote is not given to our kids. They will be taken with the avalanche of this world to perdition. So, look at chapter 12 of the book of Exodus and verse 26. And we'll see quite a few of these scriptures, so we are convinced that this command is for us. It doesn't take away from what the church does. Thank God for it. We're all fed by it, even the children when they come here. But God commands us to do something at home in our little kingdom and prepare to be teachers with our own children. Chapter twelve, verse twenty six of the book of Exodus and it shall be when your children say to you, Whom is he addressing here? The parents What do you mean by this service? Passover is just coming. That you shall say it is the Passover, that you shall say is the Passover Sacrifice of the Lord who passed over our houses of the children of Israel in Egypt, where he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households, so the people bowed their heads and worshipped. You know, God is going to do the same with us. He's going to save us the first fruits, the firstborn. Israel is my firstborn. We are the Israel of God. We will rule with Jesus Christ. We are destined to inherit the whole world. And we'll see how we have an opportunity to teach our children. Let's continue here in chapter 13 and verse 8 of the book of Exodus. And you shall tell your son in that day. You shall tell your son. I want to emphasize that. In that day saying. This is done because of what the Lord did for me when I came up from Egypt. It shall be a sign to you on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the Lord's law may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. This is concerning the unleavened bread. How God tells us, you explain to your children. Let's not... let's. Have it here, too. But that doesn't, that doesn't, uh, the the parents are not exempt because it's being taught here. It's commanded here. We should We better pay attention to this. And here in verse 14 of the same chapter, it says, So it shall be when your son asks you in time to come, saying, What is this? What is this? that the firstborn have to be redeemed. That's what he's talking about. We are the firstborn. We are the first ones to be redeemed from this world to be the wife of Jesus Christ and rule the world with him. We are the very first ones to be redeemed, and that's why we should redeem, I and mean, Christ redeem our children. And we should never forget that and teach them. Christ is saving your life, because you are also holy, we can explain that to them, you are destined to rule with Christ, you are part of the firstborn. The great majority of the world doesn't have this privilege. They are not firstborn. That's what Christ, what God commanded this. So we ask God for wisdom, and they will be understanding, and that will be penetrating in their hearts. So let's continue here in verse 15. And it came to pass, when Pharaoh was stubborn, about letting us go that the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animal. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all males that open the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. Christ came to redeem us, and we can explain, you've been redeemed before the rest of the world. You are a firstborn. Now, brethren, let's go to the book of Deuteronomy so we don't have any doubts about this command to parents and that we don't neglect it and that we are diligent and put it to work. Here it says in chapter 4 or of the book of Deuteronomy in verse 9. Chapter 4, verse 9. Only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself lest you Forget the things your eyes have seen, unless they depart from, our, from your heart all the days of your life. And teach them to your children and your grandchildren. This is for parents and grandparents. Verse 10, especially concerning the day you stood before the Lord your God in Oreb. When the Lord said to me, gather the people to me, and I will let them hear my words, that they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children over and over to parents. Then in verse 13, so he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform. That is the ten commandments. And he wrote them into tablets of stone. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and judgments that you might observe them in the land which you cross over to possess. And one thing we should do, brethren, is to teach our children to learn at least the ten commandments by heart, but not a shortened version. God says to us, don't take away from my words. He came down from the third heaven, stood on Mount Sinai, and pronounced the Ten Commandments in the ears of the whole nation. And the two longest ones, I've seen people that have them, exhibit them in their businesses or in their home. And the second one is the second longest one, and it appears to be the shortest one. It says, you shall not make yourself images. Where is all the rest of it? I heard someone years ago saying, well, if I have to worship the image of the beast, I'm not really worshiping it. I, I don't believe in that. I will bow to it, and so what? I say, do you know what the commandment says? I know it perfectly in Spanish. I don't know perfectly in English. But the commandment says, you shall not bow to them, not honor them. So if we don't, we should learn When I went to school, we were forced to learn paragraphs by heart every day. And it was abolished with modern education because they say you have to educate your children to have deductive minds, not just memorizing things. But I tell you, you can deduct many things when you have memorized them. The one helps the other one. It doesn't eliminate. So it's a false reasoning. And Daniel and David says in Psalm 119, listen to this, it's, it's beautiful expression you have in English. Now, more and more, they know that the heart has to do with memory. But that's what you say in English and in French. They have the same expression, to learn by heart. Something that is so much a part of you, you don't have to start thinking, oh, what's the next? They just flow. Like when someone plays, is a master in music. You can see, I went to, to see a amazing concert player, a young man playing the I think is this Russian composer. Tremendous concert. He didn't have one single note written there. He played the whole concert without missing one note. You know what that means? By heart. He wasn't thinking, oh, what's the next one? It will just flow like, rivet, like living water from his inward parts. That's how we should learn the commandments of God. And that will help us and help our children not to sin against God. When you know them by heart, It is an alert system that is right there when you repeat them. I used to repeat it with my son when I finished the Bible lesson every morning. Then in the car, repeat them. By the way, like it's written when you go by the way. Yes, every morning. It took me six minutes to go from our home in the mountains there to the school. And we repeat them every day the ten commandments the complete version and the other one that is shortened in these versions that people put on the walls is the Sabbath commandment and the second and the fourth are the longest commandments and every detail that God took the effort to explain and to pronounce himself is important and essential for salvation that's what God told this young man, the rich man, if you want to inherit eternal life, keep the commandments. And here he says in Psalm 119, in Psalm 119, he says, verse 11, your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Your word I have hidden in my heart. That was, learn it by heart. It's not a big deal to learn the Ten Commandments by heart. You repeat them every day. Finally, you assimilate them. And your children will do too. So we have to teach by example. So let's continue here in Deuteronomy. I'm amazed to see how many times God repeats these things to us. Let's go now to Deuteronomy chapter 6, which is very well known. And verse 2. That you may fear the Lord... I read from verse 1. Now, this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess. That you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments. You know, the statutes are ramifications of the first four commandments which I command you and your son and your grandson, parents and grandparents are commanded to teach the the children all the days of your life and that your days may be prolonged is also the path to eternal life. It will certainly be prolonged forever if we obey them, like Christ said to the young man in chapter 19 of Matthew. Verse 4, hear, O Israel. The Lord, our God, the Lord is one. And this is an amazing message hidden here. Christ said, Father, let them be one like you and me are one. God is telling us here we are destined to be one with God. And that was the prayer, supreme prayer of Jesus Christ before he died. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, your might. And these words which I command you, today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your, your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Here is the wisdom. is not just repeat like the children get tired of it. It's having the wisdom to apply the biblical principles to every occasion when it comes is like uh, an apple with ornaments of silver, a gold apple is the word said at the right time. And when we are filled with the word of God and we ask for for, for for this wisdom and we will convey them according to the circumstances, not repeating them until they get tired of it. We have to make it palatable, tasty like a tale to the children and restore that fascination that God put there. And they will keep it in their own beings and they will stay there forever. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build. Anyway, let's go to verse 18 and see it repeated again. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord. First of all, we have to set the example. Like Mr. Weston explaining his series about why do children go astray. I think the first point, he said, is because of parents' hypocrisy. Children can detect that very quickly. If we don't practice what we're teaching them, they will not be convinced. If we practice it, they will be convinced. And it's a guarantee of happiness for them. You read in the book of Proverbs, the righteous walks in integrity. His children are happy after him. The happiness of our kids depends on how much we apply to heart every instruction of God and walk in integrity. They will be happy. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord. Verse 18 of chapter 6 of Deuteronomy. That it may be well with you and that you may go in and possess the good land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to cast out your enemies Before you and the Lord, as the Lord has spoken. When your son, verse 20, once again, asks you in time to come, saying, what is the meaning of the testimonies, the statutes, and the judgments? Remember, the Ten Commandments are the testimony. The first four commandments and its ramifications are the Feast of Tabernacles and the worship to God are statutes. And... The last six six commandments, the ramifications, are the judgments, which is how to make decisions between us as human beings based on the word of God. Verse 20, when your son asks you in time to come, saying, what is the meaning of the the testimonies, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, and of course this implies the girls too, We were slaves of Pharaoh. In Egypt, we can say, I was ignorant. I didn't know the law of God. I was a slave of sin. And God the Father called me and brought me to the truth. And now I have the privilege to teach it to you. So we can give the explanation that this implies to us today. Christ did not come to abolish the law, not to fulfill it. Everything has an application today. You say to your son, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And let's read, I think there is a few more here. In chapter 11 of the book of Deuteronomy. Let's read verse 18. Chapter 11, verse 18. Therefore you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul and bind them as a, as a sign on your hand and obey and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. Verse 19, you shall teach them to your children. The personalized instruction, nothing can replace it. If you want to have a spiritual bond, On top of an affective bond with our children, let's teach them the truth of God. That bond will stay there forever, for eternity. You shall teach them to your children, speaking of them, when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. And you shall write them on the doorstops of your house and on your gates. Now we know they are written in our hearts by the finger of God by the Holy Spirit let's read one more here brethren I haven't even looked at the hour you know I have a problem with that don't you somebody told me Mario when are you going, when are you going to finish all the sermons you have never finished <laughs> oh there's still some time left thankfully now let's look at the last command to teach our children I think there are plenty already How is an obligation of parents, the father and the mother? They can take terms. They are both preparing to be teachers. And we'll be preparing our children to be teachers too. In chapter 32 of the book of Deuteronomy, let's read verse 45. Moses finished speaking all these words to all of Israel. And he said to them, Set your hearts and on all the words which I testify among you today, which you shall command your children to be careful to observe all the words of this law. For it's not a futile thing, futile thing for you because it is your life. And by this word, You shall prolong your days. If you want to inherit eternal life, keep the commandments. Long days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to possess. That will be the land we will possess too as firstborn, and we will prolong our lives forever, and that the life of our children. Now the question also is how can we do that, brethren? I already mentioned to you if we feel and it's normal. Some people say, uh, I'm not. And I have heard ministers saying, no, the brethren are not are not prepared to teach. We, Sometimes we, we, we overlook how many times God has said this. Can we overlook this any longer? I don't think so. So as you can say to God, Father, if you're ordering me to teach my children, you give me the wisdom so I can obey you. Give me the wisdom to do it, and God will do it. He's not asking something we cannot do. We are preparing to be teachers. And also, let me read. I used to get up early, very early, to get ready as if I were going to give a sermon to teach my son the Word of God, so he will remember it. So we'll fascinate him, because the Word of God is like David says, like honey. It's like honey of the like that drips from the honeycomb. But that's the way it should be, not something boring. And the Bible is full of amazing stories. I remember when I was in summer camp that Mr. Weston let me go there to wash dishes. I told him when my son was 12, he could go to, I don't think he likes me to tell this story, but I love him. He's a man who does no respect, has no respect for a person. I asked him, can I go with Ariel to summer camp? He said, I don't have anything for you to do here. And I said, well... How about washing dishes? He said, oh, you want to wash dishes? Come up. No problem. He didn't know how much I enjoyed that because I used to wash dishes in my youth when I was young in Strasbourg, and you know how life is, is a small world. I had the joy of taking him to the restaurant in Strasbourg where I used to wash dishes and sing all the time. I remember the manager said, Hernandez, shut up. I was happy singing, taking all these dairy dishes of 2,000 students. And then I started singing again, and he came back. Hernandez, are you deaf? He said, yes, sir. <laughs> so he had to laugh, too. Anyway, so I was reading to you here. So I remember in the speech class with the girls, and maybe there are some here, one or two, I used to tell them, let, we're going to practice how you are going to teach your kids. And and then you, we sit all here around you. You know, we were in a little a little room there. There was a stage there like this. And we all in the class, we were just a few. We sat around the girl who was in charge of reading to us the book of Esther, for example, or the book of Ruth. or And we'll sit down, and, and I will tell her, you know, you have to put a little bit more a little bit more salt into it. Make it more exciting. Like here it says in Colossians 4, 6, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. And like I said, children have a fascination with stories. So how how to do it? Each one will have to obey this command of God and find a way to do it. But we should read to our kids if we have time, I read it for my son for 14 years, one month and one week. At that time, he was 18, and he said, Papa, I'm going to read by myself now. I say, fine, go ahead. He's still doing it, and will continue to do it. But since he was four years old until he was for 18 years old, every day at 6.30 a.m., he had to be bathed and ready and sit at table for his organic Breakfast which I carefully prepare for him and I would give him the extra food of the word of God and I will I will pray father help me make it like my grandma used to tell her stories and there was no television in my house no television zero he grew up without it and uh, I God really helped me and someday for example I was getting a little bit late uh, he was trying to prepare his, his omelet or something. And he said, Papa, you're not going to read the Bible to me today? He said, oh, wow, that's what I wanted to hear. Wonderful. And then I remember we were reading the book of, the, the book of Genesis, the story of Joseph. He was fascinated with Joseph. It's just a marvelous story to tell the children, not, not show them a movie. Let us be the instruments of God to transfer it to their hearts, from our heart. And I, I, was, I was telling him how he honored his father. Of course, I was doing my little job there to, to let him, work, uh, I, I mean, honor me. And he worked. He says, the only one who honored his father, you're going to see how blessed he will be. And then he's sold by his brothers and tell me, where is his blessing? I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. God is testing him. He's teaching him. And then he starts working for Potiphar and becomes so successful, and Suddenly he's falsely accused and sent to prison. And he said, "Is that his, his reward?" Said, no. Wait. This is going to become very exciting. And then I tell him the story how he would be positive. The the boss of the of the jail, he gave everything in his hands. Joseph was in charge of everything. He was diligent. He was a uh, you know he was an amazing young man, very gifted in God was with him. He never lost. He had a certainty of things hoped for. And finally, the day came when these two men, the cupbearer and the baker, were there and they were looking sad in the morning. And, and Joseph, according to Psalm 105, he had shackles on his feet. You know, he was in chain. And he arrived and said, Why are you so sad today? He was probably serving breakfast to these men in the morning and he was trying to cheer them up and they were all sad said, we had dreams. And he said, oh, it's for God forgot to interpret dreams. What was your dream? And you know the story. And they were fulfilled. And he begged the co-bearer, please remember me when you go to house the house of Pharaoh. I'm here. I, I didn't do anything to deserve to be here. And two more years went by. And I was reading this story to him. And suddenly Pharaoh has this dream of these fat cows and the thin cows and the, and the ears of grain and the, and, the very, and the other very thin ears of grain. And he, he called all the people in the kingdom, all the wise men, nobody could. And then the cupbearer remembered, says, oh, my king, there is a man in prison. And he interpreted our dreams and they were fulfilled. And Ariel was there and he said, and then Pharaoh immediately sends, bring him here. And they wash him, they shave him, they change his clothes. And I said, you know what? We have to go to school. We're going to be late. <laughs> oh no, Papa, please tell me the story. No, tomorrow at the same time, we'll continue. It worked. He was, he couldn't wait to hear the rest of the story. And I tell you, we had fun. I couldn't believe we are going to have fun reading the book of John, for example. But you go through the whole book, verse by verse, and they assimilate these if you, with the help of God, tell like you are telling a tale to them. And that would stay there. He still astonishes me of things he remembers. They stay there. And then we're to the book of John, and then in chapter 8, the Pharisees are telling Christ He's telling them, you are of your own father. He said, oh yeah, we are sons of Abraham. He says, no, you are of, of your father. He you said, we are not sons of fornication. You are of the father of your father, the devil. And he exploded in laughter. He wasn't expecting Christ was going to say such a thing to tell them they were sons of the devil. So for him, it was a big surprise. And uh, even that, we, we had a great time reading God's word. He became something that was close to our heart and thank god he's going to be baptized soon he waited a little bit but he said it helps me father papa to realize i'm a sinner and i think it's very important for second generation kids to realize that part which is not easy when they grow up in the church and they are practicing the laws of god but they are they have things to repent so how did i do it I said I have to set a time. It was, like I said, 6.30 a.m. every day. He had to be there sitting, serving breakfast, and sit down and start reading. And thankfully, I made it work double because I did it in Spanish and explained, read in Spanish and explained it in Spanish and he read. He learned. He learned the language. So I did a double task there and it worked just wonderfully. So Parents have to decide how to do it, and of course if the children are grown up and they have their own ideas, there is a promise it says the promise the Holy Spirit is for you and for your children. So we can pray to God as a Father, call them, no matter how old they are. The Bible doesn't say the promise is for you and your children until they are 30 years old or 20. I think we can claim that promise if we have grown up children. And God says, you know, the, the thing is not every child that is being been taught is going to follow. Although there is a proverb that I think you know very well. I'm going to read here also that applies very well. A proverb that you probably guess what I'm going to look for here. He uh, says, what is that? He said, teach a child the way he should walk. And even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Yes, it's chapter 22 and verse 6 of the book of Proverbs. 22 and verse 6. There it is. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. It doesn't always work that way. I know that people have done the best they can and their kids. But there is something that we have to understand. They are still holy. What does that mean? They are set apart. They have a choice that the great part of humanity does not have. They can choose someday when God opens more of their mind, and we pray for it, to take from that tree of life which is within the reach, because they are our kids. They have access to the tree of life. It's within the reach. But they have to decide whether to take it or not. That's their decision. So it's important to understand that. So that's the the way I I say to you, I did half an hour every day. Half an hour, and I was getting ahead and, and reading. I read, according to the age... The story that will fascinate the most, the kid, you know, the book of Samuel. For a young boy, chapter 1, chapter eight, I mean, the two books of Samuel are fascinating. And the uh, many books in the Bible, the, the book of Deuteronomy, absolutely, we have, to, we have to read it to them. I mean, every book in the Bible, the book of Proverbs, the story of Esther, the, bo- the book of Ruth, the book of Daniel, wow, amazing read word by word and, and, and make them a tale. This is a story that happened and they are fascinated by it. it we don't allow the media to steal them from us and that's what's happening. So brethren we know that we used to be said years ago we are an Elijah type work. Why does Christ say that unless those days be shortened Everybody will perish, but they will be shortened. And according to the book of Mark, they are already shortened. We know there are 1,260 days, the great tribulation as we understand it, all the way to, to the return of Jesus Christ. But they will be shortened because of the elect, because the elect will have been doing their job in teaching their children. And they will be made princes over the whole earth. God will preserve them because they've been taught. And the elect did not allow Satan and the system to get ahead of them. And those children built the real concepts and discernment to make decisions in their lives because they were taught. And uh, here we read in the book of Malachi... You see how important this is for God, my dear brethren. You know this scripture very well. In the book of Malachi, chapter 4, it's interesting, it says in verse 4, Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Oreb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. Remember, Christ did not come to abolish the law. He came to fill it today fullness, all these laws, marvelous laws that we should teach our children. And he says, after, behold, I send you Elijah the prophet. It's interesting that these two men are mentioned here, and we know that they will have characteristics of Moses when they will turn the water into blood, or when, what Moses did, by the power of God, or like Elijah, who would stop the rain. So they will do that, the two witnesses and he said behold i send you elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the lord that means that he starts his ministry two and a half years before the day of the lord and they will go all the way to three and a half days before christ's return i think you all understand that it was interesting to study it I send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. He will teach those that are going through the great tribulation. You better obey God. What he has commanded us so many times. And turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And the hearts of the children to their fathers. Create a spiritual bond with your children by teaching them the word of God. We also know that this, according to Elijah's work, means that the descendants of Israel will recognize, they are blinded now, that they are descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And their their hearts will will turn to them who obey God. That's included here too. Lest I come and strike the earth with a curse you read some commentary he said with utter destruction why if we teach our children the evil will not reach its fullness in the church of god because we have taught this generation to obey and to fear god by example and by conveying to them the word of god as a precious thing So God will not strike the earth with utter destruction because of the elect who are doing their job. We see that all those civilizations we studied before the flood and the Canaan civilization and Solomon and Gomorrah, God smote them with utter destruction because that iniquity had pervaded even to the children to sear their conscience. So God will stop the destruction because his elect will be teaching their children and they will be preserved from utter destruction. And like Psalm 45, I think, says, will make them princes upon the whole earth. May God help us, brethren, to heed this commandment of God And enjoy it as we do it with our kids. Make it a joy. And they will learn to love God's word. And they will never depart from it.